0: So we're just sort of
1: like some amorphous blob of colors. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Rossifari. Hello, welcome back to the Safari Podcast. Today, Safari is going to the birds. But first, a few quick reminders. I've decided to extend my ratings and reviews for conservation effort for a few more episodes. For every five-star rating you leave this podcast on Apple Podcasts, I will donate $2 to an animal conservation organization. If you're willing to write a positive review along with that five-star rating, I'll up it to $5. Also, everyone who does a positive written review and sends me proof to either rossifaripod at gmail.com or messages me proof on Instagram at rossifari will get to vote on what organization gets the money. If you don't use the Apple Podcast app, you can still leave a rating or review through iTunes. Also, make sure you're following along on Instagram at rossifari and hit up rasafari.com to see, well, a website. Also, don't forget to get your pins, masks, stickers, and more at Rossafari.Redbubble.com. And last but not least, remember that you can support the pod by hitting up patreon.com slash Today's interview was recorded at the Vermont Institute of Natural Sciences, better known as VINs, which is located in Quechee, Vermont. Vins is an incredible facility which is focused on conservation through education, research, and avian wildlife rehabilitation. As you will hear in the interview, Vins is not a zoo, though they have both an exhibit collection of non-releasable birds and an education collection on hand. This small but awesome collection serves as the backbone of an incredible education center and research facility that serves to educate the public about avian conservation. The facility also includes an impressive rehabilitation hospital that is currently experiencing its busiest year ever. Due to the ongoing coronavirus crisis, I wasn't able to go into the hospital at all, but you'll get to hear all about the incredible work they are doing there in this interview. Speaking of this interview, you're going to be hearing two voices other than my own in this episode. I had a simultaneous sit down with both Gray O'Toole and Anna Morris at VIN's. We had a really fun chat, and you can hear the joy they have not just in their work, but in sharing their work with each other. I could have listened to Gray and Anna talk all day. I'll let them tell you more about what their individual positions are, but get ready for a lot of laughs along with a lot of learning. As an added bonus, after the interview, Anna took me on a tour of Vins discussing the captive birds in both the display and education collections. I'm going to put a few clips from that after the main interview. Okay, here's my interview with Anna Morris and Gray O'Toole. So, um thank you both for being here. And why don't we start off by just uh, you both introducing yourselves and telling me who you are and where we are.
2: Sure thing. Well, my name is Anna Morris. I'm the lead
0: environmental educator uh, here where we are at the Vermont Institute of Natural Science. And I am Gray O'Toole, the lead wildlife keeper at the Vermont Institute of Natural Science.
1: Okay, cool. Now, Um, I noticed that you say wildlife keeper and not zookeeper. So for the people listening, uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, We've talked about not just doing zoos, but doing um, zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehabs. And we have some of the rescue and rehab stuff going on here, I believe. Um, So what is the difference between this place, which uh, colloquially is known as Vins, right? That's Mm -hmm. what you guys generally go by. Um, And like a zoo
2: yeah, that's a really good question. I think I think the word zoo uh, in people's minds evokes a kind of different image than what we do. We uh, tend to focus on the native species that can be found in our immediate area, so Vermont and, and New England generally, um, because of the rehab center. So a lot of what uh, Gray does, all of Gray's job, is working with our native injured wildlife that are brought in by members of the public that find them. Um, and so we don't see... Uh, things like Eurasian eagle owls, or pandas, or tigers <laughs> in care, and thus we don't have them as part of our uh, collection. And our emphasis is to educate with uh, native species about native species for our visitors who um, probably can see these animals in their own backyard. Um, and our ideally our our collection um, ideally our collection encompasses birds that um, you know would be living in the wild but for the fact that they have injuries. And so their their purpose here is they are living out the rest of their lives in our care uh, and in turn becoming animal ambassadors. But I kind of in an ideal world, there wouldn't be any animals here at all because they'd all be healthy and released into the wild.
1: Very cool. That makes a lot of sense. And um, so do you guys focus mostly on, on birds here or, or do you bring in other species as well?
0: Yeah, so our primary and only focus is is just native birds in the state of Vermont. So we work with all types of species, though. Any of the ones that you would find, waterfowl, raptors, songbirds, all of them.
1: Awesome. Very cool. And you guys do uh, herps as well, right? Or is that not a thing anymore?
0: We do.
2: We have um, two turtles and two snakes uh, in our education collection. Okay. Um, what I like to say is, it's a rare person that will bring an injured snake into a rehabilitator. <laughs> um, so our snakes are corn snakes are captive bred individuals that were given to us to to help educate with, um, and our two turtles were actually both uh, rescues from other. Uh, nature Centers for Reptile Rescues that were given for education. So we actually don't treat reptiles here. We don't. Oh,
1: okay. Cool, cool, cool. I just... You, is there still a wood turtle here? I remember when I visited you guys... She's had,
0: still here. She is <laughs> so
1: gorgeous. I, um, I have been a turtle fan my whole life. They are. They're one of my favorite animals. And the first time I came here, uh, when I saw the wood turtle here, I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I have of. never actually heard of like wood turtles before. And I just, I fell in love and I, I read about how smart they are and how, how strong of a personality they can have. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's really cool. We'll get to the raptors in a minute, but as a turtle fan, um, <laughs> tell me a little, tell me a little bit about your, your wood turtle and, uh, oh. and the other turtle you have.
2: Aww. She's so great. Yeah, I can talk about turt. She, yeah. um.
1: Uh, Tur- i'm sorry did you say turt her
2: name is turt
1: amazing very yes. amazing
2: we we're very creative with our <laughs> reptile names here um turt the wood turtle is our oldest uh educator she is 44 wow. years old um, she actually came to us from another nature center um, that we love interacting with shavers creek environmental center in pennsylvania um, she lived with them for about nine years and then in 1985 she came to live with us and has been uh, a Vins educator for the last 35 years, which is pretty amazing. She is great. Um, I, I, you know, people ask us all the time about the lifespans of the animals because they're so impressed by that. And I, I learned recently from a wood turtle biologist, um, Kylie Briggs at the Orion Society, that uh turtle could very well live to be 90 years old in our care. And we're, you know... Eagerly anticipating celebrating her ninetieth birthday. Yeah. Her fortieth birthday was really fun. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's so amazing. <laughs> um, where is the? You said Shavers Creek.
2: Shavers Creek. I, a- I believe they're right in State College.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania.
2: Oh, nice. I, I grew
1: up in the Harrisburg area, uh, graduated from Penn State, and and live uh, outside of Philadelphia now. Oh, nice. So very yeah. cool. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll have to check them out. I've never heard of that place. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. All right, so um, I guess we should talk about the thing that you guys are all, you know, braggy about. <laughs> I know your uh, your Instagram is Vins Raptors and all that. Mm-hmm. So so let's talk about let's talk about some birds. Um, what is it like doing rescue and release? Tell me a little bit about what that program's like.
0: Yeah, so pretty much we just get a call from a member of the public who finds an injured raptor, songbird, anything, and uh, we give them instructions on how to capture the bird, potentially, uh, or we will have someone assist them with that, and they will transport it to us. We will treat them for what, whatever injury they have, and the general stay for a raptor specifically is is usually about 30 days, but depending on the nature of the injury, it can be several months, and uh, then we try to release them back where they initially were found just because it's a an established territory for them and uh, it's familiar and we want to try and set them up for success again. And we recently actually started banding all of our raptors. Uh, so we I think we've only banded about 15 so far, but uh, we are banding them and hoping to potentially get more information on how the birds actually do after release, because that's something that we don't know. They they go off and do their thing, and we're unsure if uh, it, <laughs> how they're doing out there once once it's done. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: that's really cool. So they don't they don't write, they don't call. That's, no, that's, uh...
0: they don't. <laughs> um, so tell me
1: exactly how banding works.
0: What, yeah, like
1: what is that? What does that mean?
0: Um, yeah, so there is a USGS band, so they're metal bands, and we have a, uh, a master bander come in, and he actually is permitted to band raptors specifically, and he comes in and bands all of our birds, and each bird has their own particular band size, depending, and we write all of that information down, and and log it. And if someone happens to see a raptor out in the wild that has a band, they can potentially read the band numbers and report it. And then we can get info on where that bird actually ended up.
1: Okay. So this is different than like a GPS tracking where Mm -hmm. you, you guys are actually using, um, community conservation type stuff and and local scientists, uh, like amateur scientists who are into it. That's really cool. Uh, have you had a, a good response to that so far?
0: We haven't really gotten any band returns back yet just because it's still so new, and the bands can be a little hard to read unless you capture the bird for some reason or are, have very good binoculars, I suppose, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I guess in a
1: way that's probably a good thing. Like, because yes. if, if you were hearing back that people were just walking up and fighting, then something would be wrong with the birds. Exactly. So that's actually, I think that's a its own sign of success. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's
2: really, that's really no no cool. news is good news. Kind yeah. Of. yeah,
1: yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's 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 really cool. Um, so I'm curious when it comes to taking care of, of birds or um, that are going to be released obviously there have to be steps taken to make sure that they don't become dependent on y'all. They can't become your new best friend. So, um, I'm really curious to hear what that's like. Um, you know, so far, most of the interviews that I've done are with keepers, uh, zookeepers talking about how much they love their animals and how much they, you know, get to cuddle them and all of that. (laughs) So tell me what it's like and what steps you take to avoid Uh, raptor dependency on humans
0: yes so we are very much hands-off as hands-off as we can possibly be while still giving them the treatment and the care that they need so uh, initially when they come in especially as adult birds they're already pretty fearful of humans which is exactly what we want and how they should be behaving in the wild anyway Um, so they're a little bit more scary to us to handle, uh, but we, uh, just capture them, keep them in smaller enclosures so they can heal and, um, give them the treatments that they need and just progressively work them up to larger spaces until they're outside. And we pretty much only see them once a day just to check on them, uh, clean the enclosure, make sure that they have the food they need and, uh, and call it a day with them. Uh, for our littler birds that come in, so in the summertime, we do get a lot of baby raptors, so kestrels and broad hawks, barred owls. Um, we do take steps to really try and prevent habituation or imprinting, and it pretty much involves us uh, wrapping ourselves in... <laughs> Uh, sheets, basically, and wearing a mask. And it's just sort of... It's a beautiful mask. It's it's, it's, a circle of cardboard with craft feathers glued on (laughs) it. Yes, yes. So we're just sort of like some amorphous blob of color. So they can't see our hands, they can't see our face, and we do not talk to them at all when we go in to feed them, just to minimize contact so that when they see that they're not seeing oh humans are feeding me and humans are good i i think i'll just hang out here now for the rest of my life <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> that's awesome yeah <laughs> it really makes a lot of sense and also makes for the best podcast answer because that's yes. that's just hilarious i I, yes. I hope that everyone listening can just picture their own little amorphous blob with feathers yes. yeah that's...
0: everyone feels ridiculous when they're doing it that's awesome so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: it's, it's amazing the things we will do for animals. <laughs> yeah. So um I'm curious, what kind of background do you have, like educationally and work-wise, that lets you do rehab with raptors?
0: Yeah, so I have a I majored in biology and environmental studies at the University of Madison, Wisconsin.
1: I love Madison. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, such yeah. a cute, gorgeous town. It is a good, and yeah, a free good. zoo, which is really nice.
0: They do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a great zoo. Um, so I, I got a degree in biology and then just knew that I wanted to get into animal care and really to break into this field, you just kind of have to build up experience-based learning. So I got an internship at a zoo actually in my hometown and I was there for a while and then actually got an internship at VINs for a couple of months and then moved on to a rehab center in Oklahoma for over a year and just built up my skills uh, there and then actually saw a position available here. So I ended up here many years later.
1: (laughs) Where is your, uh, your hometown?
0: It's actually Racine, Wisconsin. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah. Very cool. And Anna, for you, um, how, how what, what's your background and what got you here?
2: Yeah, um, I too have a, a background in just wanting to get into the animal care world, but I kind of uh, took a little detour in between. Um, my degree is in animal science from Cornell University. Nice. And there I got involved in their raptor program because um, my advisor was a falconer and I was just enthralled by, um, what he was doing with some of his birds, um, as, you know, teaching his students to handle them and whatnot. So I got involved with the Cornell program and then fell head over heels for raptors, knew that I wanted to to work with them and went to graduate school at Boise State University in Boise, Idaho. Um, also really great zoo in that town too. Yes. And a
1: really <laughs> great town in general. Yeah. Yes,
2: yes. And, um, Worked for the World Center for Birds of Prey for a while, as well as doing my thesis research on the striated caracara in the Falkland Islands. And then I realized from there that while I really, really enjoyed the field work of going out and working with my birds in the field... Uh, the other 10 months of the year when I was sitting in a cubicle writing my thesis was not as fun. <laughs> so I found ways to get involved, to volunteer at nature centers, to do environmental ed, um, and realize that that's really what I wanted to do with my life. So there was a position open um, at VINCE, and I came here about four years ago.
1: Amazing. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So um, quick question. Um, the term raptor. In case people don't know what it means, (laughs) what exactly is a raptor?
0: (laughs) Uh,
2: yeah, that's, it's, I giggle because that's a a very good question and there's not really a good answer. Um, there's some, some definitions are called the morphology definition. Whereas a raptor is a predatory bird that has sharp talons, um, forward facing eyes and a curved upper beak for tearing prey. Um, but that definition excludes vultures uh, from that, um, which are closely related to hawks and eagles genetically. But if you go by the genetic definition, then you have to kick out the falcons because they are not closely related to the hawks and the eagles and the vultures or even the owls. So there's kind of this hybrid definition that's come up in the past, just in the past year or so, um, of defining a raptor as a, a group of birds from a common ancestor called Teleravis that then kept some of their raptorial traits from this, this common ancestor, but other members of that group actually lost those traits. So those those members would be the parrots and all the songbirds. In theory, they have a common ancestor that had talons and very good eyesight and a sharp beak, but they all lost that trait, whereas the hawks, the falcons, the owls, and the vultures retained it. So it's really up in the air. There's no good way to to, to paint it.
1: That's fascinating. Isn't it? Though. That, Yeah. No, that really is. Yeah. You can't see because I'm wearing a stupid mask, but <laughs> uh, I'm grinning ear to ear right now because yeah, I yeah. really love, one thing I love with this podcast is like going deep on stuff mm-hmm. and um, and that's just, wow, that's fascinating to yeah, me. Yeah, it is. Um, taxonomy in general just confuses me a little yes. bit. Yes. Um, it's know, confusing.
2: Yeah. As it's we confusing. discover
1: different things and as, as families change and mm-hmm. relations change and mm-hmm. I'm, I often find myself scratching my head. So, um,
2: I've heard that, you know, talking about taxonomy, talking about species and those categories are useful to us as humans. Cause we like to put things in categories, but they're really meaningless.
1: Now, um, the term Raptor also, uh, to most people, um, does not mean birds, but Mm -hmm. means Jurassic park Yes, and means dinosaurs. And there is a debate that I, I hear a lot, um, which is that, you know, some people say that birds are evolved from dinosaurs and other people just say birds are dinosaurs. (laughs) Do either of you have thoughts or opinions on that or, or care to share?
2: Well, we gotta. I mean, meet, meet. there is a there is an exhibit here yeah. at Vins called "Birds Are Dinosaurs."
1: That makes me so happy. That
2: like puts yeah. it. I guess that answers your question. No, yeah. I mean,
1: I like that. I'm trying to do an interview, and she's like, "Yo, go read the exhibit." Go next question.
2: Go <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, it it falls right into that taxonomy thing. Uh, mm. Are are we apes, or are we descended from apes, or are we something completely different? Because we never actually were apes, and apes are as As far evolved as we are, because we're all here in the year 2020 together, yeah it's a really interesting question i I err on the side of um, what we what we know as the dinosaurs are the large re- reptilian things that lived 65 million years ago, and in that sense birds are have evolved beyond that point right. um, so they're the descendants of dinosaurs but also birds are dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fair, fair, fair. Gray, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Your eyes lit up when I asked the question.
0: Oh, no. I just, I mean, knowing our exhibit. And I personally, we are in chimney swift season mm-hmm. right now. And if you see a nestling chimney swift, there's nothing that looks more like a dinosaur than a nestling chimney swift. Oh,
1: have to check that out. They're very, okay. very weird looking. Cool. Very
2: weird. Very
1: cool, very cool. Um, so I'm curious and... Speak to VINs, but also um, you know uh, the larger rescue rehab world. Do you find that there is a lot of overlap between zoo communities and and this world, or is it very separate, or how does that work?
2: It's an interesting question. I I don't know about the rehab world. I could speak to the ed side of things, but
0: yeah, I mean, in terms of rehab, I I think the the main overlap is. We have kind of a network of non-releasables, so that's kind of how I I feel like we're a little bit more involved in zoos or zoo esque, I guess, in that we have uh, non-releasable birds that need a home, and uh, zoos and other nature centers are um, potential candidates for that, and other other rehab centers are are always trying to place non-releasables that. Uh, just didn't quite make it through the rehab process the way that we had wanted to, but are, are great birds and would be very good birds as in- ambassadors for their species all across the country. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. And for my own part, I've, I've found like over the last two or three years, really, I've, I've gotten more contacts in the zoo world through an exploration of, uh, positive reinforcement training, mm-hmm. um, you know, having come up through the world of nature center environmental education, it's it's really kind of a different world from zoos, um, just by by the nature of the work. But in trying to incorporate positive reinforcement training with our ambassador raptors to give them more choice in their day to day life, I find myself reading papers and articles and listening to podcasts uh, by exotic animal trainers who work in zoos. So that has been kind of my delving into the, the sort of AZA accredited life is seeing how zookeepers work with their animals and, and trying to incorporate some of that into how we work with ours.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, for people listening, uh, VINs is not AZA accredited, not because of anything wrong with VINs, <laughs> but because it's not a zoo. And so it just, the, the accreditation doesn't reach to here. So it's, it's very cool to know that, that you guys are looking at those things and trying to incorporate that into the, the captive animals that you have here. That's really cool. Um, and I can tell just from sitting with you guys for 20 minutes so far, just how passionate you are about what you do. And I'm, I'm sure that um, there are lots of, of best practices happening. So um, tell me about some of, of the birds that, that live here. Um, do you guys provide long-term homes or do you guys do short-term and then try to get them replaced and, and tell me who's here?
2: Oh gosh, there's lots of guys <sighs> here. There, there are Whoa. so many guys. Okay, tell
1: me about some. i Y'all are the ones list? that are at yeah, work.
2: There's so. like 70
0: of them. Um, yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we can yeah. break it up into, we have education birds and then we have exhibit birds yeah. and, um, I can speak to the exhibit birds that we have. I want to say roughly 30 exhibit birds. And they vary. I mean, you know, bald eagles, barred owls, turkey vultures, all of them. And pretty much all of those birds on exhibit are uh, non-releasable in some way. They have injuries um, of some sort. Can I interrupt
1: for a second just to ask a question I just thought of? Um, Who determines that?
0: Who determines if they are non-releasable? If they're unreleasable, yeah. Mm Yeah. So their wildlife vets do that. So you would have to take them to a vet and the vet would then determine how severe the injury is and whether or not they can be released back into the wild. So to keep a non-releasable bird you do have to get a vet to examine it and say yes this bird is non-releasable right. and um and then it gets permitted through and all that and yeah. you as the awesome.
2: rehabilitator might be suspicious that this yes. bird really isn't getting any lift is probably has a non-releasable injury even after all the correct DT yeah. that gets done yeah
1: oh yeah. yeah i'm sure that you would have some insight into it i was just curious about yes. as far as like officially who gets to make yes that call.
0: yes so,
1: okay that, that makes sense that's cool and then, oh yeah, so go on and tell me about some of your, your unreleasable uh, birds that are here.
0: Yeah, so uh, many of them actually did come from the state of Vermont. Uh, we have several birds on exhibit that are from Vermont, but some of them are from uh, Arizona <laughs> and uh, other places just across the U.S. that they, they were at other rehab centers and they um, for whatever reason, just uh, were not release ready, and uh, they they ended up coming to us. So, yeah,
2: yeah. And that's between the we have the Raptors. We also have a small songbird collection. We do have. So a small we've got songbird. some cardinals, oh, reds, robins, yeah. goldfinch.
0: Yes, and or all of all of those guys actually did come from yes. uh, Vermont, around okay. uh, the state of Vermont. Cool,
1: cool. And then how about the education animals that are here?
0: Yeah,
2: and then we, we currently, as of yesterday, we now have 17. Right. Uh, yeah. We had a new bird arrive yesterday, but we have 17 um, full-time uh, education or program birds whose job is a little bit different from the exhibit raptors, because the exhibit raptors, they're always on display to the public. But we don't interact with them uh, on Glove, so we don't ask them to step onto a human hand and come out and meet the public. The education raptors, by contrast, we do ask them to do those things, so they are also not on display all the time. They get kind of a little break in between. Sure. So we've got a couple of red-tailed hawks, a couple of Harris hawks, two barn owls, two barn owls now, an eastern screech owl a uh, parrot and falcon and three kestrels somehow Pretty we have kestrels. three kestrels Incredible. And, uh, male. and a black vulture yeah all of them are male <laughs> and they all are different sizes which yes, is fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so those are the birds that i work with the most often because those are the birds that we are training to be comfortable in front of people some of them are are trained for flight so they'll fly between perches and handlers during a public program uh, and the like so their their care is more those are those are more the birds that if you're talking to a zookeeper and about which animals <laughs> they love to get. Right. That's those are that's my experience um with our birds because they are permanent residents with us who we're working with every single day.
1: Very cool. Yeah. And um do you guys um did you guys like name your animals and, and get to know them like mm-hmm. personally? Uh both both collections, I'm curious. And are there different um different rules for the education collection with that kind of thing versus the the non-releasable display collection?
2: Yeah. Well, we actually do name all of the birds and we name them with the same convention, which is they get named after the area where they came from, whether it's the town or the state or the county and street name. Sometimes we <laughs> have to get all the way down to street name. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that we do that in order to remind ourselves that they all were, once wild animals that came to us from the wild and that they're here because they can't be in the wild. So we've got a bunch of very creatively named birds like Chesterland and...
0: Brid- Bridport. Bridport. <laughs> and, you know, yes.
2: But with some cool ones, like we've got um, Miami, mm-hmm. Eastern Screech Owl. Nice. Aurora it's the barn owl. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, so it works, works out one way or the other. And we do, you know, uh, to the degree with the exhibit birds that we you know, try to put them at ease, but there's, there's really not a huge effort to make them like, like us. You can maybe speak more to that than I can.
0: Yeah, we we pretty much limit our interactions. And it's actually, we rely heavily on our volunteers to help us with our exhibit birds. Um, They help clean the enclosures every day and feed the birds. Uh, So they're only being visited twice a day. And it's very briefly in their enclosure just because they are a little bit more fearful of people. And we like to give them their space and... um, I mean, you know, they're being seen by people all day long, so we don't want to be in their enclosure all day Mm -hmm. bothering them.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: By contrast, the education birds, we do a lot of relationship building specifically with them so that they um, not only see people as not a bother, but look forward to an interaction with people
1: right mm-hmm. that's incredible i would i i that must be amazing to be able to get so close to some of these incredible birds that i'm i'm a little jealous right now i'm not, <laughs> not gonna lie that sounds really cool that's awesome um so one thing that i like to ask is just if you guys have any um funny sweet basically any stories about any of the individual animals um either that live here or just that you've you know taken care of and released or whatever
2: well I'll tell I'll tell a story I've been I've been telling a lot recently, um, and especially because we touched on uh, you know, how do we prevent the birds from seeing us as caretakers and accidentally becoming imprinted and therefore non-releasable, um, you know, with baby birds, that's a huge concern. And we do have one of our education male uh American kestrels, a little guy named Westford, who is imprinted. He was raised by a human family um, we really don't know much about the circumstances, but um, thankfully they recognize that they couldn't do this and that he would not live a, a healthy life in the wild. So he was surrendered to us. Um, and it, he's a great illustration of why an imprinted bird should not live in the wild, because he doesn't even know what he should eat. Um, which you'd think would be oh. instinctual. Um, you know, he's a, a raptor, he's a carnivore, he should eat meat. And he, he really does. But if you hand him something and he thinks that what your object is potentially food, he will eat it. Mm. So he has eaten um, blueberries. Um, he has eaten a dandelion. He has eaten part of his own jesses. He tried to eat a tiny plastic dinosaur. Like he was very, very adamant that this was food. Um, yeah, so he's he's a he's funny, and kids really get a kick out of it too. Um, uh, you know, seeing this little bird that doesn't know he's a kestrel—it's obvious to everyone but him. <laughs> that is
1: hilarious. Yeah, Gray, do you have anything?
0: Um, I mean, I'm just thinking of actually our. Exhibit Cooper's hawk, uh, Wyndham. She's actually currently off exhibit for right now, uh, but is in the winter time. Uh, she came in as a rehab patient. I want to say three years ago. She was uh, contaminated with some sort of oily substance. Wasn't able to stand. And after months of uh, doing physical therapy, basically on each toe and her legs, she was able to start. She stood again and is is utilizing the feet. I mean, the sad story, I guess, in the end is that she is still with us. Uh, she does have some underlying neurological issues due to the contaminant. But it was um, a pretty good success, all in all, that she came in completely unable to stand. And we spent a lot of time and energy working with her. And, um, yeah, she's standing and and doing well. Yeah. That's really awesome. That's such
1: a cool story. I love that so much. That's ah, yeah, I love hearing stuff like that. That's just so cool. Um, so I have. Well, first of all, before I ask my last question, um, is there anything else that either of you would like to share about Vins or your lives or uh, conservation groups or organizations that you want people to check out or just anything like
2: that? Oh wow! Whoa! <laughs> I'll say what I always say when people ask me, "What do you want to know? what What should people know about Vins?" Which is we're open in the winter. <laughs> I know Vermont, Vermont in the winter is not uh, not everybody's idea of a good time, but um, we are open year round, and we uh, it's a really like special experience if you happen to come on a you know grim January afternoon. You will get a nice up close personal experience with uh, the education staff and with our birds because you've got the place to yourself. So. Come and see
1: us. Yeah, I will say the first time I ever came here, I was playing a show at Northern Stage. I was playing oh, uh, White Christmas, and so it was Christmas time, and it mm-hmm. was white, and um, I literally I, – I was missing animal time, and so I Googled to see if there are any local zoos, and this place came up as the closest thing to it, and so I, I did. That was my first experience awesome. here, and I walked around in the snow, and I, I went to um, – one of the education animal presentations. And yeah, there were, there were four of us. Yep. Um, and it did not suck. And, uh, yeah, I've been back numerous times since, but that first time was always so special to me, um, for a lot of reasons, especially just because it was so personal, but also because, um, where I was at in my career at the time and stuff, it was kind of my first time traveling big time for, for a gig. And it was like this break that I'd always hoped to happen. And, uh, I was super excited, but super nervous and coming here was such an incredibly peaceful thing that it was just, it really helped center me. And, mm-hmm. That's and great to hear. Yeah, it was really cool. Wow. Very yeah. helpful. Nice. And that's also when I, I saw Turt, and I was just yeah. like, oh, yeah. turtles are the best.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're very helpful in that, like, zen, you know, bringing you back to center kind of thing. Turtles. Absolutely. Yes, They're
1: 100%. <laughs> um, okay. And uh, and anything that you, you had to share,
0: um, I guess I'll say, at least for the rehab aspect, that we are currently experiencing the busiest summer uh, ever, and we are at over 600 patients so far Whoa. this year. And we're actually going to surpass our um, patient load for the whole entire 2019, probably within the next couple of weeks. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a very, very... Busy summer for rehabilitation. And I'm sure a lot of other rehab centers across the U.S. are also experiencing the same thing. So hang in there, everybody.
1: (laughs) So basically you're telling me that it's not just humans that are having the worst year ever. It's it's birds (laughs) and stuff too. I don't know if that makes me feel better or worse. I don't don't know what to do with that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Man. Okay. So I close... Every podcast, this, I fell into this accidentally, but it's become a thing. (laughs) I need a poop story. And it doesn't literally have to be poop, but poop or something gross because y'all deal with it all the time and it's always funny. Um, I know, I know at least one of you has, has something for me. I've
2: just constantly covered in unidentifiable fluid. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like it's not, so, you know, when we, we, Prep diets. I think that's that's another thing that zookeepers deal with a lot is yeah. preparing the food. And pretty much all of our animals are carnivores, so we're preparing mice and chickens. And thankfully, I don't have to deal with the euthanasia end of it. But I'm you know gutting mice, so cutting them open and cutting out the GI tract and whatnot. And oh, just wow, okay, like, brains and eyes and <laughs> intestinal contents on my shoes.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Yeah. That's that's what I experience on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, the masks have actually been helpful yeah. in that regard. <laughs> in which, so we do diet prep every day. So we we have to butcher chickens and rabbits and cut open the rats and and all that. And we use giant meat cleavers. And there's nothing like getting the backsplash of of like rabbit and, and chicken organ just like in your sp- face. Yeah, right in the face.
2: <laughs> and it helps with the smell I've noticed. Too, yes, because bit. I know
0: I had to have gotten some chicken juice on on my lips. <laughs> 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 lovely, <laughs> lovely. I haven't gotten salmonella yet. so
2: yeah, <laughs> we all just live with a low level contamination.
1: Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. Anything else? Um, that
0: was fun. The, yeah.
1: Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for doing this. I really thank appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. As I mentioned before, the next part of this episode is going to feature some clips from my tour of VINs with Anna. Keep in mind, we were walking outside in the rain on rocky paths, so you're going to hear an audio quality drop, especially in the first clip. But this stuff is so cool, I wanted to share some of it with you. Our tour started off walking by the hospital, and Anna told me about the huge increase in patients they have had recently. I asked her why that was, and found her answer to be very interesting. What do you think it is that's causing so much more
2: It's hard injury? to tell. Um, probably what's happening, though, is that more people are outside. You know, no. More people are exploring the world that's immediately in their own backyard, and encountering wildlife, and... They know about us and they know that we're open and
1: bringing us those birds. Cool. So you think it's less about like an uptick in injuries and a more of an uptick in awareness? and, and Most
2: likely. That's yeah. actually really yeah. cool.
1: That's good. You know,
2: with the with the pandemic and everything, people are trying to find stuff to do in their local neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: One of our exhibit stops was with a pair of snowy owls. Here's a clip from that visit where you'll get to hear one of the owls say hello to me.
2: So you've seen these some of these guys yeah. before, at the very least. This is LaGuardia. LaGuardia um, was owl. bowled over in the exhaust of a jet airplane Yikes. and broke both of his wings. Aww. So he's, he's not flighted, um, but he's been with us quite a while now. Um, I think seven years now. And wow. he's just gorgeous.
1: Yeah, he's so handsome. Snow owls are so great.
2: He's a little wet today, but, you know.
1: <laughs> it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you found an uptick in interest in snowy owls since Harry Potter and oh, all that jazz, absolutely. of course? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, and, you know, it kind of coincided with our acquisition of the female here. So this was a captive
1: bred, uh, female. And
2: she's, some—if she's not in, back there. She's right here. Hi. You're right there.
1: Oh, hello. You are right there.
2: You're going to say hello? No, nope.
1: just going to stalk around in a circle.
2: No yeah. hi. hi. Um, so she's actually captive bred, and she was um, purchased to be part of our collection because we wanted to show the, you know, natural history and the behaviors of a snowy owl um, in the wild uh, with a captive individual, and we did not yet have LaGuardia, and then basically the very next year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it, it always on. that way? Yeah. <laughs> My mom always told me, don't buy a snowy owl. One will come. No way, never there's happened. There's going to be one soon. <laughs> we also checked out a rough legged hawk, and I learned an interesting fact about bird migration.
2: Wow. They do occur in the wild here in the time, since they're an Arctic species. Okay. They're also migratory, and they come south to New England because it's warmer here than it is in the Arctic. <laughs> Interesting.
1: I don't I, think I've... Isn't I've, I've, that crazy? I've never thought of of this as a destination for, you right? know, the South. That's, right? We wow. are their South. Here's just a quick fact for you movie buffs out there. Red-tails. Hi, red-tails. Red-tailed hawks are the ones that you hear when it's the eagle sound, right? Yes. Okay, I thought Almost so, yeah. Almost
2: exclusively, uh, red-tailed call is played over an eagle.
1: And last but not least, we meet Paige, the female Harris hawk in the education collection. Paige? Well, I'll let Paige tell you what she thinks about being on a podcast. And then, this is so cool. The female Harris. Her- yeah. Hi. That's who we're hearing right now. Hi, Paige. Yeah. Paige.
2: She is about sixteen months old and still thinks that begging is acceptable. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was so cool to spend time at VINs, and especially to get to explore their collection with an expert like Anna. Of course, after the tour, I ran immediately to visit Turt the Wood Turtle. She's doing well, and I got some adorable pics I'll post on Instagram. For additional clips from my walking tour of VINs, including information about ravens and kestrels, as well as extra audio from other interviews and the occasional full bonus episode, make sure you're supporting the podcast at www.patreon.com slash If you're interested in learning more about Vins, make sure you visit www.vinsweb.org and definitely check them out on Instagram at VinsRaptors. You can also follow Gray at g-r-a-e dot and Anna at Raptor Naturalist, Trust me, you'll want to see the awesome pics these bird brains are posting. Yay, conservation. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari. on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at RossifariPod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.